Hello, everyone. It's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to season two, episode 22 of Every Damn Day. And today, our guest is Evan B. Carr, and we're going to be talking about uh, a bunch of things, mm -hmm. but ecstatic dance may be on our minds today since yeah. we have one tomorrow. Yeah. So, how are you doing today? And what's going on? I am feeling fantastic. Happy to see the snow in the air and uh, very, very vitalized by winter. Are you uh, constantly positive? Am I constantly positive? Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. But Absolutely not. when I interact with you, it, you always are positive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you always, uh, no matter what's happening, snowing or whatever. I mean, for me, the Fledge is a place of healing. And when I walk through these doors, I try to think about what is it that I'm bringing into the Fledge? And uh, for me, I like to bring a, a feeling of gratitude for everything that's happened here. And I feel good when I'm here because of what the Fledge represents for me. Well, thank you. You make me feel good when you're here, too. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, let's jump into it. Let's. Yeah. How do you want to start this? Because we got to navigate some things. Yeah, so many, so many different ways we can go. Well, probably a, a good place to start is um, starting with sense making. And... Um, why I think that's so important and it's a, a skill and a capability uh, that's really important to, to pay attention to. So what is sense making? That it's, it's very basic. Sense making is the way in which we make meaning in the world. Hard stop. But what does that actually mean? Well, in a world in which we're increasingly polarized, when there's a lot of argument in the world about what's right and what's wrong, and that's always been the way, what sense-making allows us to do is engage in our own skill of being able to figure out what's actually true. And to do that, first, we have to look at our own cognitive biases, mm -hmm. right? What are my, what are my uh, previous thoughts that I bring to a topic? Um, where am I biased? What is it that I'm bringing to a particular conversation? And then cultivate our ability to actually expand across the entire spectrum of an idea. So if we look across, I mean, we were just talking about industrialization in yeah. America and the three towers, right? If we look across that and we say it's bad, well, what are the counterpoints? Why is it also being good? How do we engage in a conversation that allows us to appreciate the multiple points all across a different spectrum? And then through collective dialogue and us being in dialogue together, say, this is what we, we agree on is actually true in a way that allows us to, to really bring in all the, the important narratives and the important points. Does, uh, can, we, can we explore true for a minute? Yeah, yeah So absolutely. I've always thought, I, I say this phrase a lot, um, everything's true, therefore everything is false. And what I mean by that is that as we go through time and as we increase our understanding of things, our perspective on truth changes quite often. Mm -hmm. But at the moment when we decide this is the truth and mm -hmm. we act upon that, mm -hmm. that is the truth, yeah. right? The world was flat when everybody was scared to go to That's the right. edges, right? That's right. Um, so what's your, what is true? I mean, okay, now this is a 50-hour uh, show. Now we've, gotten, now we've gotten into philosophy. This may, this may be more than a, a few minutes. Well, you know, truth is there, there is, there is relativity to truth, right? Uh, a, a phrase that I learned when I was studying terrorism is 
one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Yeah. And that gets right at that point, right? That my truth and your truth are likely different in a lot of different, you know, important things in life. And that's really the core of sense-making. If we think about what, what democracy is founded on, it's, it's the plurality. It's the bringing different people together so that we can actually cohere as a community. And that's what we're doing here in Lansing. That's what we're doing in Michigan and the country is how do we do that? Because there are different people in Lansing that have different ideals and different beliefs and they have a different truth. And also you're my neighbor. And just because we have different beliefs and different understandings doesn't mean that you're wrong or that I'm wrong. And it's in those places where truth is relative that we come together and say, how do we find coherence together in dialogue in a way? And, and one word that you say is taking action. So sense-making is important. Sense-making helps us make meaning. From that meaning, we make choices and then we take actions. And so sense-making is part of how do we go out into the world? And for me, in the processes that I'm engaged in, how do I make sense of the meta-crisis? The metacrisis being the intersection of our ecological, our political, our economic, our developmental and educational crises. How do I make sense of the metacrisis? Mm -hmm. and, and that's obviously, it's a very complicated topic, <laughs> but it, it, it allows me to say, what are all the points across this? What are the people that maybe I disagree with or that I don't think are, are necessarily their, their truth isn't my truth, but how do I develop an appreciation of who they are and why they think that and what's actually valid. What's the signal there amidst all of the noise that I can tune into and say, oh, and even if I disagree, develop an understanding in my heart of why they think that way and, uh, and allows me to meet them at least as a human, if not to actually engage and for us to maybe give up a little bit of ourselves to come to some type of agreement. Mm -hmm. And that's sense-making is uh so i often talk about the strength and the power of diversity and you know that's not just zap you have to include people you have to invite mm -hmm. them you have to welcome them mm -hmm. and all of that but once we get together our strength is in our differences and yes. you just described that right it's mm -hmm. it's me understanding that they're not just a symbol of pollution they're also a symbol of our industrial history of our uh i guess making as yeah, a place absolutely and and a vital part of how so many people came to have a really good quality of life in lansing and a great pension and and good lives and and so i think one of the the key things about sense making is that and yeah. it's it's not or thinking or thinking is more rivalrous it's this or this we don't live in a world of or we live in a world of and and so how do we insert that and type thinking to expand our scope of, of how we make sense of the world? And so sense making is one of the skills that I've been cultivating for a while. And it's one of the reasons why I built a website to help onboard people into sense making as a skill. And that website is sensemaking101.com. Yep. And I'll throw that up on the screen real quick. Beautiful. So check that out. It's very interesting and very informative. And I've only spent three minutes in front of it so far. Nice. Um, so, okay, let's keep going. Yeah. So I put that together because for one, I wanted to cultivate my own capability and also invite other people that may not be familiar with sense making to say, how do I engage in this, this mm -hmm. skill? And then how do we actually apply it? Because it's not just theory. 
I'm engaged in sense making around my purpose. I'm engaged in sense making around the meta crisis, about local and bioregional regeneration. How do I make sense of the things that are hard to make sense of in the world? And there's the individual, but there's also the collective. And so when I ask myself this question, one of the things that I come to is that, and this is my my deep belief, which of course <laughs> will, will be different, I'm sure, a year from now, that in, in order to effectively address our many problems in society, it is ultimately at the level of human development, development of our awareness, development of our consciousness, development of our skills and capabilities, both internally and externally. And that if we're to effectively meet the ecological crisis, if there's any, you pick any issue that's a, a big issue politically or socially, that it's the development, not just of our ability to, to engage in sense-making and, and then come to agreement, but, but also literally our, our development of ourselves and our understanding and our capabilities. And so I see that as really one of the biggest linchpins. It's education, it's personal, personal development that'll allow us to address a lot of the problems that we have. Is, so I've been studying regenerative. You introduced me to that term, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, a year ago, yeah. maybe not even. And I, I, one of the values is kind of really thriving to understand what the essence of mm -hmm. being a human being yes. is. Yes. Is that what you're talking about now or is that? Great, great question. So <clears throat> the the regenerative cultures and regenerative thinking is partly about essence. But it's not just of what it means to be a human. It's also the essence of Lansing, the essence mm. of this park, the essence of this place. What is it about this place that wants to that wants to emerge? And so in, inherent in all of us is a ton of potential. And so really regenerative design is about realizing, it's about seeing and actualizing potential. And potentially you can think of it as like the seed. When the, when the seed goes in the ground, it has the potential to be a tree. That doesn't mean it becomes a tree. Right. It might get stunted and only be a sapling. Or it might be a pretty deformed looking tree, whatever that means. Or it could grow into a mighty and tall oak that then drops acorns and has a relationship with every other tree and every other plant in its region and helps to be, you know, a, a, a center point of incredible health and vitality, yeah. viability and evolution. So essence is a, is a part of it. Just to, to kind of track back the, the regenerative, I'll say thinking or the regenerative paradigm that in and of itself, that's an important part of cultivating our, our internal capabilities, because what it does is it it moves us from and, and maybe you've seen the chart of like man being on top of the hierarchy. Oh, yeah. And then there's yep. the there's the circle right from ego to eco. And in the regenerative thinking, what we're doing is we're opening up to a systems level thinking, seeing ourselves as an important part of an ecosystem but not the, not, the, not the ones that have dominion over the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And the, the place itself, we'll say Lansing, for instance, or, or better yet to use the watershed, right? I mean, we're, yeah. in the, we're in the Grand River watershed. What is the potential inherent in the essence of the Grand River watershed that's different than, say, the Sonoran Desert in Arizona? 
what is that essence? And so our ability to be able to perceive ourselves as one part of that system and then to actually partner with place to bring that about is a is an evolution in our own way of seeing literally seeing the world out there and by doing that we increase our capability to be of more benefit to our communities and to our place and that's a great example of a skill or a capability that is a journey in consciousness and awareness from perhaps a, a more egocentric adolescent uh consumeristic mm. point of view to one where it, a journey into soul and a descent into essence to come back and say i've had an ego awakening and i understand my part and place in this whole system and how that actually transpires so uh man you're pushing a lot of my hot buttons because you said the grand river basin and i think if we sell that to nestle i'm gonna just, <laughs> then you know there will be I, I like the phrase the terrorist is what the big army calls the little army um <laughs> yeah but i like yours was better uh but i just i think about the water and how we're the capital of the great lakes state but we which means we're kind of the stewards of 20 percent of the world's fresh yes. water yes and we're doing such a horrible job at it with the pipelines and the selling to nestle mm -hmm. and all of that and, and so and i think this is like developmentally and, and i've spent a lot of time thinking about this um, do I blame Nestle and the executives at Nestle and the people that made those decisions? And for a long time, I did just like I blamed, you know, tons of different corporations and, you know, the effects that we've had many documentaries on. You can go read all that. And, and did I used to be at a point of saying they're wrong? Yes, absolutely. And I used to, you know, send a lot of negativity towards them. And part of my personal development is realizing they're just acting from their level and understanding of how right. they see and understand the world. And to me, that's a linchpin of healing right there. Because if you realize that the executives making those decisions are just acting from what they know inside these layers of programming that say game A, the, the rivalrous zero-sum game where we're consumeristic and we're ego-driven and we're patho-adolescent, then of course you're going to make decisions that are against the watershed because you don't fundamentally see yourself as a part of the ecosystem that we're a part of. And so I don't blame them anymore. Instead, what I see is that's the potential that yeah. we're after. How do we, in, in all of our people, how do we have the call for them to wake up, to be able to see, to have an ego awakening, to understand I wouldn't do something that would affect our watershed since it's connected with life. Yeah. <laughs> and but, that's and that's the developmental process that 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 gets me back to that linchpin of it's an educational and a human development is the is the main point of how we actually address the problems in our society. Yeah, I love that example. And I, I love the way I don't know if it, it was the development, it was the epiphany at some point mm -hmm. where you realize they have an understanding that they believe in and is as strong as my understanding that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And there's some empathy there, right? Where yes. you have to get in the shoes of the other person and try to look Bingo. from their perspective. And we can, we can say down in our guts, well, they should know, they should know this is life. They should know, but they don't. And we can either cancel them and get mm -hmm. them, throwing them to some other community, or we can engage with them and walk them in 
to this space, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and what's our invitation to that? Right. What's our invitation to that healing? Yeah. I often use that. I get asked to be in the middle of many, many arguments, and I always use that as their belief in their rightness is just as strong as your belief in your rightness. So yeah. think about that. And then, and then if we both have this ability and say, hey, let's engage in sense making now. And we do that in a way where we both do. And one of the important principles is good faith. Mm-hmm. How do I come into this conversation with good faith and trust that you're also coming into the conversation with good faith for us to truly and genuinely develop an understanding of, of one another? And, and, and in order to do that, that's a developmental process to be able to, to, to take whatever you think of as I or me or my ego or my rightness and be able to set that aside. That's a process in and of itself of being able to do that effectively. Yeah. How, and that requires a lot of vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. You have to say, all right, I don't know everything. I might have a weakness here and maybe I can take that weakness and develop it into a strength. But the strength I have today, I can't really make new strength out of, right? I mean, it comes from my vulnerability. It comes from my growth. It comes from something that I don't see or doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair way to say it, maybe? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so trust and uh, engaging with people and feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Those are all the words I think of when you say, hey, Jerry, <laughs> come dance with us at Ecstatic Dance. Yes. Uh, so beautiful. let's lead into that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so first off, I want to I want to thank you and the Fledge for hosting Ecstatic Dance. And, uh, you know, we're we're officially doing a static dance Lansing here here at the Fledge. And, you know, just as a, a quick couple sentences, what is a static dance? It's a global movement. Um, it's been around since the 70s. And there are hundreds of ecstatic dances all over the country. And what it is, it's a it's a transformational sound journey. And it's an invitation into connecting with your body, connecting with yourself through the expression of dance. And we do it Sundays, 12 to 2. And it's an opportunity, you know, for me, a lot of my early dancing experience was getting drunk on a dance floor, you know. Mm, yeah. And and I but I needed I needed alcohol as that way to overcome the I'm willing to be seen dancing in public. And I think that a lot of people have that, there's that wall there of like, well, a couple of drinks and maybe I'll hit the dance floor, yeah. then then I'll get comfortable. And so when you talk about trust and you talk about vulnerability. It's stepping into a container that we hold as a healing space for you to experience what it's like to dance, maybe in front of other people. Maybe that's your edge. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the edge that you're actually going to find, uh, you know, you're dancing for something. Maybe you've lost somebody and you're grieving or you're grieving for our planet or you've had a stressful week and you just want to move your body and get embodied into yourself. So that's a little bit about a static dance. And, um, you know, the... The sense making around it is what, why, why a static dance? And so the, the question that really is before that is, is like, for me, what, what is the, what is that? I, what is it that I can offer to Lansing? I uh, had the opportunity to dance in Dallas and in Santa Barbara, California, uh, two places that um, have really vibrant communities. I'm talking 20, 30, 40 people every single week. And so there's a beautiful community there together. And in my personal experience, it was an opportunity for me to actually get into my body. So in this conversation, and I always have to have to guard for it, I have a tendency to be intellectual. So we can use 
big words and concepts and 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 I am an intellectually based person. Many people are emotionally based. A lot of women are emotionally based, but that's not explicit. Anybody can be either. And so for me, ecstatic dance was this opportunity to actually get in my body um, somatically to experience what it's actually like to to feel the grief in my body, to feel the joy, to feel the happiness, and to find that edge of my own discomfort in dancing in public and, and do that in a way in which I'm held by a group of people that are there just to witness me, however I come. And that was a lot of my experience in the static dance. And so as I've been in Lansing, I've been asking myself the question, what is mine? What, what is mine to offer to community? And I, and I think it's a great question for everybody to ask, which is like, what's my part in all of this? Mm -hmm. This conversation about how we encourage human development. What's my part in this? And so um, as, I, as I did a bunch of sense making on what's worth doing, I came to the conclusion that a static dance Lansing is, a, is something that can ripple healing out to the community and be an incredible container for, uh, for, for that. And so what... What, how does that ripple out? What comes from that? Is it the, the individual leaving with that energy, with that thought, mm -hmm. that mindset? Or is it also, or it's probably everything because it's systems, right? So yeah. um, it's the, the interactions and the relationships that get formed by mm -hmm. the new friends, maybe? I mean, it, 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 it hits on so many different levels. Um, my my co-founder Megan, she's done a great job at reaching out to the community, and we have people that are that are coming in, and they've never done dance before, mm -hmm. and they're actually saying, "Wow, that was that was a new experience for me." And what did they learn about themselves through that experience? You know, we 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 talked a little bit about the metaverse, yeah. And there's a, a great podcast that I love. It's called The Emerald. I've been following them a lot, and he's got a new episode called "The Body Is the Metaverse." And, and his whole point is, no matter whether we've got goggles on or not, the body is where we experience everything. Even if, right. you, if you've got goggles on, it's still processed through all of our physical sensations. You feel the, the narrative in your body. And um, being able person by person to give people an invitation into some level of healing is, is really the opportunity there. So a metaverse with no people in it is not heard. A tree falling in the woods. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, actually. I'm huh. not sure. It's going to get weird. That's one thing I think is for sure. And it's not going to be healthy if, we've treat, if we approach it like we have mm -hmm. a lot of the attention economy. Well, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of people have commented on this. It's like, do we really need to escape? <laughs> At, at this point, and, and maybe it's a, a reasonable, maybe it's a reasonable thing to do. And I think that's, that's where the intersection of like being in the body is. If I'm afraid to grieve for our planet right now, if I'm afraid to grieve for all the problems and the crises and the hurt and the pain and to feel the depth of that, the density of that, and to feel it in my body, if I'm afraid to do that, then maybe it's easier just to put on a headset and go to a, a virtual rave, you know? Yeah. Sounds fun, right. maybe, maybe not. See, it's a, I worry about, all right, what are they gonna do to the real world when we're not looking, mm -hmm. right? It's just another, here, let's uh, dump this drug in this community 
and get all these people high and distracted. And then we'll come in and buy the property and run it down and gentrify and do what build factories, do whatever we want. Yep. I, 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 uh, I'm wary of that as well. And I also, I also loop back to the, they, right. Who is the, oh, they, yeah. the, they are, the, they are humans who are, who are acting out their trauma and their programming and their coding. And how do we invite them in to say, what's, what's real? What, what's organic? What, what's actually about life? And so um, I'll, I'll do a quick plug here. One of the, so I'm a firm believer that the questions that we ask ourselves are, are really like one of the most important things in life. What question are you asking yourself today? What question are you holding every single day right now? And having the question actually work you rather than work the question. Mm. And one of the questions that I was asking for a long time is in service of what? Of, of what am I in service to? And, I, and it took me a long time to get the service piece together. And then of, of what am I in service to? And my answer to that is in service of life. That's my personal answer. And it's become this, this cornerstone. And so I've, I've recently started a podcast um, and it's called In Service of Life. And it explores, it, it explores kind of the intersection of all these many things that we're talking about. It's a sense-making podcast, weaving together things like our regenerative thought and all the crises that we're facing and somatic experiencing and shamanism, arts, and, and all of the things that bring about more beauty in us, between us. And the first episode is actually about crypto and uh, whether we're all going to make it or not. And... Uh, you can you can give it a listen. I have hope. I have hope. So in service of life pod.com is up on the screen, but for you uh, listeners, that's what it is. Search it up. Uh, so you just said shaman. Mm -hmm. You uh, I had to pull up your email so I could get this phrase right. A practice in indigenous wisdom traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how does that tie to ecstatic dance? Because I've been fascinated with kind of the getting in your own body, the trance part, the, mm -hmm. you know, how that's similar if yeah. I've used mushrooms or acid or DMT or mm -hmm. whatever. And how does that, yeah. wh where your, where's your headspace there? So if you, if you, so sh shamanism is a, you, you could say is a form of paganism. And basically what that means is it's religion of the land. And so if you look, there are shamanic cultures on every single continent in every single place. And they all arrived at a set of practices. I mean, many of them arrived at a, a kind of a core set of practices that are common without even them talking to each other. And one of those is the use of trance. They knew very powerfully about rhythmic drumming mm -hmm. as this opportunity to open a portal into your subconscious or your unconscious, the descent into soul and essence or as a portal into the all, ecstatic experiences that help you connect with the Godhead, the all, the one. And so they understood that trance is incredibly important. And that's really what a static dance is. It starts off, the music is slower, and then it picks up and it builds into a crescendo. It builds into this place where you're no longer dancing, the music is dancing you where you've entered into a place of ecstasy in your body. And, and it's, uh, you know, the dance itself is substance free. 
You don't need substances in order to access those states. Just like if you do some powerful breathing, if you do some breathing exercises, if you want a transformative experience, do that for 10 minutes on a morning and, and you'll feel it. Yeah. And so the, 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 sh the shamanic cultures knew about these incredible abilities that are innate to our bodies. We're wired this way. And there's a lot of more science every single day that, that are actually turning a lot of these, these ancient technologies, and that's what they are, they're technologies, into modern businesses. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a reason for that. It's because they're incredibly powerful. So there you go. Everyone, uh, I think, on the that, that maybe isn't there yet. Mm -hmm. They're thinking hippy-dippy BS and all of that stuff, right? Yep. But look at what happened during the pandemic. How many people got into yoga? How many people got into breathing? How many people became more mindful uh, to deal with that problem, right? Yep. So we maybe we made some progress during the pandemic. You know, one of the big trends that's happening right now and people are talking about is the great resignation. Oh, yeah. Right? People are leaving their jobs in 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 incredible amounts. And, and you say, why is that? And I think it's because in a lot of ways, our, our society and our culture is not actually meeting our needs. It, it meets needs that they say are our needs, but actually aren't. Right. And, and that's why people are slowly flocking or quickly flocking to a lot of the arts. I mean, yoga is a great one, right? That, that comes out of the Vedic traditions. And there's a great philosophy of yoga. It's more than just sweating on a yoga mat. Right. It's a way of life into a deeper understanding. And so if you look at all the trends in our, in our country, they're pointing to us slowly orienting towards the healing that we need. And so I'm actually full of hope as well, because everywhere I look, I see people that are working on parts, little different parts of the solution. And that's why that question, which part is mine? I can't work on all of this myself. Neither can you, neither can the fledge, but what is our part in it? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Well, I think this is fascinating. It does give me hope to think in these terms mm -hmm. and to see that people, I guess you could use enlightened. It's a big word, but people become more and more enlightened. It feels like every day. And I meet more people that are thinking this way. And thank you so very much for yeah. coming on and My talking pleasure. to this about us or talking with us about that. Uh, first and third Sunday of every month. Second and fourth. Second and fourth. Sorry. So not what I said. The second and fourth <laughs> Sunday of every month is when Ecstatic Dance is. You can see it. Uh, all the details at ecstaticdancelancing.com. And it is tomorrow at noon. And it always is followed by our Sunday drum circle, yes, too. Yes, the drum so, circle. I'm bringing my drum uh, tomorrow. All right. So you have, uh, you're, you're a spoken word performer, yes. writer, yeah. author. Uh, mm -hmm. You're going to take us out with one, right? I am, yeah. All right. So love you all. See you tomorrow. We'll go out with what Evan's got to say right now. Beautiful. So my uh, spoken word artist name is Cypher of Earth. And uh, this is a piece that I recently uh, put out a couple days ago. And uh, it's called Blue Truck. <clears throat> they stroll down the street like a tank column in Red Square. Blue Truck after blue truck with arrows darting in the air, pointing to the future, this army's come for the heart of our small businesses in the name of efficiency and profit. The ones who can stop it 
are the witnesses. I mean, customers, the ones who click add to cart. This land is prime, primed for invasion or expansion, words paying tribute at the altar of our cult of progress. This land is primed for the exploitation of labor. The savior? <laughs> He's shooting rockets into space so he can flee when the land's left fallow, barren and waste, the result of capitalism's pathological race. But here's a pittance to save face. Who would have thought that a website could rape? It's ironic. The name bears presence of a great being, a forest so massive and mighty it gives air to the whole planet's breathing, the Amazon jungle. Has it slashed and burned the destruction and construction? It's the same function that drives delivery trucks up and down each and every street, agents of consumption, peddling products for profit. We keep buying, we can't stop it because maybe one more item will fill this hole in my heart. Is that awkward or am I just being honest? And trust me, I am no saint. And every time that box is dropped on the stoop, I stoop down to pick up my shame for playing convenience's game. The button says buy now and I am the problem. And even though I'm antsy and fancy myself as the solution, just one more order I tell myself as I add to the confusion. How long do we have? Two days. Spoiled by convenience, but hey. Ibida and net revenue are up, so what can be wrong? The great engine of this economic song, and neither of us have a choice. It's a mandatory sing-along. They tell us they're called centers of fulfillment, but I haven't seen the packages fulfill oneself. Today's shiny object is tomorrow's junk on the shelf. We need help. Great news. You too can have your own revenue stream. Watch this master class and join our dropship team. It's great. You'll never have to touch the products as they're shipped across all 50 states. Become your own boss with listings in this magical marketplace. But you may have to wait as your knockoffs are shipped from Indonesia and China. They're happy to oblige a reminder that the poor pay a disproportionate price for our lavishes, clicks, and floss. Their sacrifice isn't in our costs, like it's not in Amazon's price. Isn't that nice? Nature weeps as she watches us peddle our wares. Mindless consumers who keep kicking the can down the road without a care. In the end, she'll be holding the bag filled with the trash of all we once had before it was broken, upgraded, or obsolescenced. It's sad. Blue truck after blue truck rolls through your town. Excuse me, I gotta go. I think I hear my doorbell now. Thank you so very, very much. I appreciate you a lot. See you all.